You know what I want to do? I want to, I want to talk about all the time you have left after that. Because time surrounds us all the time. And uh, it, holds, uh, it often holds the power to define us as well as, you know, the time waiting out there ahead of us has a way of not just beckoning us, but intimidating us. And time can demand what we do, but it can also force us to decide who we are. Now, what's what's interesting about time, since we're spending some time right now, uh, it, it took on a whole new meaning when someone finally figured out, invented a device that could actually keep time. You may not realize this, but the very first clock tower was erected in a town in Germany back in the 1380s. And from that moment on, the dominant role that time has played is that of dictating what we're supposed to be doing at any given moment. And when it comes to telling time, we have some interesting options. I want to look at some. Like this one right here. This is Casio watch. Costs about 13 bucks on Amazon. Has a battery. I've always wondered what the little buttons are for. Um, it keeps accurate time, but it's not very dependable. May, maybe get a year and a half after it, but it's just $13. Let's ramp it up a little bit. There's a Timex. Nice looking watch. I think this looks good with a man's suit. It's still battery driven. It's not as, you know, it's not going to last forever. And it's not, you know, it could fail because the battery lets out, but it's a, a decent looking watch. Or we could go this one here. It's a tag hour. This is a nice looking watch. This this has really got some class to it. I think this kind of watch that, you know, we're hitting heirloom level. You know, you take good care of it, you can hand it down to one of your kids. This thing's got uh, a device in it with all these gears and all that. As long as you keep it moving sometime during the day, it's going to kind of keep running forever. Or we could do this one. This is this is crazy here. This is uh the International Watch Company, this thing here has all this stuff, you know, for not just telling time, but uh, the, the month and the day. And, and it knows whether it's 31 days or 30 or 28. It knows whether it's leap year. And depending on which precious metal you use, this thing starts about $40,000. This particular one's 42. One more. This, this watch here, is a Vacheron Constantine Tourdeal. Has 36 functions. They call them complications. You say, well, there's two watches there. No, no, no. That's the front and back of the same watch. They needed two separate faces to accommodate all these complications. They have the time, the date, the time zone, the power reserve. They have a moon face on there, and they'll coordinate it. You know, the, the, you'll be, you can always tell what what uh, phase of the moon it is, but they have this blue dial on the back as a celestial chart, and they know where you are living, and they'll coordinate it to what the stars are over you. How much do you think this one is? This is audience participation. Give me some shots of it. How much? How much? 100, 150? Anybody want to go 200? <laughs> the Vacheron Cordial with its... Uh, 36 functions, it's 840 moving parts. The 10,000 hours that went into designing it can be yours for $1.5 million. Here's what's interesting. 
You can, so based on this, you can figure out exactly what time it is accurately for $13 or for $1.5 million. But there's one thing that none of these watches can do. And that's add one minute to your lifespan. Jesus weighed in on this in the Sermon on the Mount. He was unpacking what God's applied grace looks like. The best uh, passage in the Bible that really unpacks it is the Sermon on the Mount. And then he starts talking about the things that people fret about, what they're going to wear, what they're going to eat, and all that stuff, what they're going to do. And he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 27, he says, which one of you can uh, be... Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And then he goes on down there in verse 33. He summarizes all this stuff, the points he's making. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things that you're worried about, they're going to be taken care of in due time. See, when we shift from looking at time as a setting on a watch to instead seeing it as the most precious intangible commodity that we have, well, I think it just naturally causes us to reflect, take an inventory. You know, how am I doing? How am I doing on the big stuff? How am I doing with my family, my spouse, my kids, my grandkids, my relationships? How am I doing with my career? How am I doing with the Lord? Moses, I sure knew how to uh, not pay attention. He, he learned that it doesn't pay much attention, or it doesn't pay to, to give much attention to, the, to a timepiece because he was stuck out in the middle of nowhere with a couple million people that whined a lot for 40 years. But he actually wrote a psalm. There's one of all the psalms, the collection of psalms, one of them was written by Moses. And he knew what he was weighing in on. And among other things, he said in this, in Psalm 90, verse 12, he says, he says, He says, teach us to number our days so that we might gain a heart of true wisdom. He's he's, he's saying, don't worry about the moment you're in. Keep in mind the bigger picture that you're, uh, the the trajectory you're on, the journey you're on. One of my former, uh, a pastor colleague friend of mine named Don Tanuki, and he was weighing in on this and, and, and he was summarizing his teaching in this, this verse, and he says, what Moses was saying, he was reminding us is that when death is certain, life becomes rich. Back in the Roman Empire days, when a, a general would go out and he would conquer another country and conquer another general and his, his soldiers, he'd bring the, 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 the prisoners back to Rome and they'd parade them through town and they're all you know, disheveled and wounded and all that stuff, and they're 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 humiliated. And the and the reigning general, conquering general, would be on a, this kind of a thing that's being carried by his men, and people would be throwing accolades at him and flowers and screaming and yelling his praises. But there was a guy assigned to be right behind him, and the whole time that they're 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 saying this, this guy would be saying in his ear, "Memento more." Momento more. And in Latin, he said, remember, you too will die. Don't get so wrapped up in this moment that you forget the bigger thing. 
You may be the person that gets conquered the next time. Keep perspective. There's a really great line in this awesome chick movie uh, came out uh, years back called Braveheart, where William Wallace says, every man dies, not every man lives. Not every man really lives. See, I, I am convinced that the two things that keep us more inclined to use our time wisely is the ongoing knowledge that we will eventually run out of time measure, measure, measured against the backdrop of eternity, which was bought and paid for by Jesus on a cross. And I, I think a great passage that drives this home for me, in fact, the passage I think should be the theme verse of um, every grandparent. Look at this. this, this is strong. Now, by the way, this is written, this is not identified as who the author is, but it, it contains segments and pieces of other Psalms that were written by David. So the assumption is that commentators and theologians assume that this was David writing this late in life. He's looking back. He says, since my youth, O God, you've taught me. And to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. And even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God. till I declare your power, look at this, to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. See, as he was looking back, David I, it was, he struggled in some areas of his life. He, he struggled in his role as a, as a husband. He struggled in his role as a friend, and he really struggled in his role as a dad. And, and now he's looking back, and he doesn't want to waste the time he has left. You know, he, he, he's telling us in this thing that we need to live our lives to make a difference, that we need to live our lives focused upwards, towards God that would cause us to be concerned outwards towards others. This is is reminding us to prioritize the relational over the material. And I think without debate, the most strategic place to establish a bedrock legacy that is sure to last forever is by creating and maintaining heart connection with our spouse, our children, and our grandchildren and doing everything we can to help other people do the same. Heart connection. We talked about this in the parenting conference yesterday. Uh, you know, we, we, we said that the, the, the role of a parent, a Christian parent, is to connect to the heart of your child in such a way that it ultimately makes it easier for them to connect to the heart of God. But if you're married, it starts right there in a marriage. You know, I, I don't do a lot of weddings. Pastors, the guys here at the church, they, they, they do a whole lot more than I do. But um, I have started bringing this subject up a lot more in the weddings that I do. And that I don't think a couple realizes when you get married that you, you just signed up to write a love story for the rest of your life. You signed up to write a love story. But I think what happens is we get married and you, you can tell the couple's crazy in love with each other. And then life comes at them work, career, then kids come along. And uh, they might have some medical challenges and some financial issues. And and, and without intending to let this happen, well-intended couples, uh, you you see them five, 10 years later, 15 years later, and and their love looks kind of weary and worn and boring and bored. 
And, and they, they set out to write a love story, but they, you end up writing, once again, no fault of anybody. They don't, they don't mean to let this happen. You end up writing a roommate story with occasional benefits. Or, uh, and at least we didn't get divorce story. Or maybe you did get divorce story and, and you're married again. Say, let's, uh, hopefully we won't do this again. You know, we, we'll get this right the second time. See, we're supposed to be writing a love story, but to, do, to write a love story, it assumes a, a pursuit of each other's hearts on a regular basis. You gotta be deliberate about it. And you wanna pursue, pursue each other's hearts until one of you takes this la- their last breath. That's what's required. But, but it's so easy to get caught up in the moment. What time is it? What am I supposed to be doing? What's next on my agenda? Instead of keeping that bigger perspective in mind. And and so God is calling us through his word. What what Moses is saying is teach us to number our days. And and David's saying, you know, don't don't get to, when you're looking back and and regret, be able to to live your life to to count. And I think it's it's a mistake to think that the most effective legacy we can leave behind for our family is a financial one or a famous one or a lifestyle one. And sometimes we get so wrapped up in the hurried life, the hurried, busy life that's around us. And, and as I said at the parenting conference yesterday, I said, you know, Satan figured out he, he, he doesn't have to make any Christian family bad. He just has to make them too busy. That's all he has to do. And he can steal our joy. Because when we're letting the clock run our life, many times we don't have margin. When we're stepping back and letting the, keeping time in perspective against the backdrop of eternity, then we realize that there's a better way of going about this. Now, what's interesting is we have a chance to use time, the time we have left to create a legacy that ultimately never dies. It keeps on passing on blessing long after we're gone. Now, some of you might think that I'm, now I've really stepped way over the line and that's just ridiculous. Uh, I don't want to be a name dropper, but God said in Deuteronomy chapter seven, <laughs> verse nine, uh, speaking through Moses, now therefore, know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. In other words, the commitment we make to care for each other has a way of impacting not only the people that we love, but the people that they love and the people that they love and the people that they love on down through the line. So when it comes to leaving a legacy that lasts forever, I wanna suggest in the time we have, that I have left with you, three principles that if you practice them first and foremost on the people closest to you, I, I'm gonna tell you the eternal stock value of your, of your life and your family life is going to go up and stay there. Let's learn together. The first principle we need to embrace is that the best use of our life is love. The absolute best use of our life is love. The Bible reminds us to let love be our greatest aim. In this famous uh, uh, chapter, you know, the First Corinthians 13, the love chapter that Paul wrote, as he's as he's bringing it, uh, as he's kicking it off, he says, "No matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I am bankrupt without love." See, because without 
us genuinely loving others, life is worthless. And that's why we're all wiser to spend our waking hours showing our love to the people that make up our life. It's relationship, not achievement or acquisitions of things that matter the most. Because love, as we just learned in that passage in, in, in Deuteronomy, it outlasts time. It has the capacity to impact eternity. Therefore, love is the one thing that we can be doing now that actually lasts forever. We can send it down through the generations. As he was concluding his, his uh, that 13th chapter, 1 Corinthians, he says, these three things continue forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. But I think it helps if we have a clear definition of love. Because we use love so in broad ways about so many things. And I think when we're talking about loving people, we ought to have something clear in our mind. My wife and I early on felt we needed to nail down a definition for ourselves to work with. Here's the one that, that, that we landed on. Love is the commitment of my will to your needs and best interests. Look at this, regardless of the cost. That, there, that, that there's a price tag on it. Love is a secret to a lasting heritage. And, and no one knows this more than the people who surround us in our family pictures. People who we've either made better or bitter based on how we handle our commitment to love them. Because when we someday make our way to our eternal destiny, we leave all of our stuff behind. The Bible says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. I'll give you a mental quiz to, to make my point. Don't, don't answer out loud. Just think in your own minds. Name the last three Heisman Trophy winners. How about the last three winners of The Voice? How about the last three Academy Award winners of Best Actor or Best Actress? I would wager that no one listening to me could answer one of those questions, let alone all three. But I'm going to ask you a couple of questions here that I think everybody can answer. In your mind, list the two or three teachers who made a huge impact on your journey in academics. Or, or the two to three friends who have helped you through difficult times. Or the, uh, those two or three people who always believed in you so much and made you a better person in the process. See, those are the people that were loving you and caring for you. Those are the, way, the people that wrote the script on your life, on your story. And, and I want to make a point here that, that, that we've got to make sure we nail this one down, is that when we're talking about love, we need to keep in mind here that this calls us to love people, uh, not just the people that love us back. We don't realize that the standard love that we tend to show to others is, like it or not, it's transactional love. We tend to love people who love us back. It's a quid pro quo. It's a scorekeeping thing. And if somebody cares for us, boom, we'll, we'll love them back. But if, if, if we, have, we start to have differences and struggles and all this stuff, we can, we can always unfriend somebody. And we do. And, and, and right now, I, I think we've been, we, we, we've really, uh, uh, the last two years, have put relationships to a test like I haven't seen in my whole life. 
And, 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 and I, I think we've created a culture, and it, it's not just the, 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 the COVID thing and, and the quarantining and all that stuff. I think it was long, it was, it was being, uh, the recipe was being made, put together for some time. And social media adds to it and all that stuff. But, but we've got to the point where we, we think that we have the option to only, uh, you know, function in echo chambers where the only people we want to be around are the people that believe like us and, 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 and align with our thinking. And, all, and if we don't like them, we can reject them. And I, I, am, I am amazed, even among Christians, how polarized we've allowed ourselves to get on political issues, on medical crises. Look, I'm an outsider. I've got a, I've got a boarding pass on. I'm leaving this afternoon. <laughs> so I guess I feel free to say some things that maybe it's a little tougher to say, but I, I think this COVID thing has really shown too much of us of some gigantic holes we've had in our relationships. I've seen this thing split families up, split siblings up, split marriages up, and split churches up over issues of vaccinations or non-vaccinations, masks or non-masks. And and, and then if you let 24-hour media feeds and, and news feeds feed you all the time and talk radio feed you all the time, you gotta understand... The way they make money is keeping us angry and keeping us scared. And if you just live on that stuff over and over again, it's going to get the best of you. And, and, and so I've seen people turn on each other over this. And, and, and what gets me too is the assumption that if you disagree with somebody and they're on the other side, that they're an idiot, they're stupid, they're a fool. Wait, wait a minute. Smart people on both sides of these issues are holding to their position for reasons. These are not, the people care deeply. Well, why they, but why we choose to reject the other when this comes right against the whole core of what God's calling us to, to love each other and care for each other. Commitment of my will to your needs and best interest, regardless of the cost. We have a daughter who is a nurse practitioner in, um, uh, ICU at Mayo Hospital in Phoenix. Over the past two years, she has shut the eyes of a lot of people that have died of COVID. She has some deep, deep concerns about how to deal with this thing. I have a son who's a captain with, with the Phoenix Fire Department. He shut the eyes of several people who died as a reaction to a vaccination. They see this same thing from two very opposite sides, and they passionately see these. When they sit down to discuss them, they, they're, they're strong in that, but they never forget, wait a minute, all that might be true. I might feel that way, but, but I'm not writing you off. I care for you. I love you. You're my brother. You're my sister. We don't let this get the best of us. Because we have allowed this so much, I think we we have so sullied our chance to show people what the love of God looks like. And 
We don't need to do that. You know, um, Luke chapter 6, this is from the message, the, the, the paraphrase, the message. Jesus is talking, I, I, I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting in return. You'll, you'll never, I mean, I promise to regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives towards us, generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. Our Father is kind. You be kind. And when it comes to leaving a legacy that never dies, the first principle we cannot escape is that we need to, uh, that, that we, we should uh, live each day to love people. Let's look at the second one. The second principle we need to embrace is that if we want to leave a legacy that never dies, the best way to, the best way to love is time. The importance of things can be measured in how much time we're willing to invest in the people God has called us to love. And why is giving our time so important? Well, it's because it's the most precious gift we have because we only have a set amount of it. And nothing illustrates this more than the milestones that uh, we, we, we experience in our lives and with the people are close to us, like graduations and weddings, retirement, funerals. You know, you can make more money, but you can't make more time. When, when, when you give your, uh, your, someone your time, you're giving them a portion of your life. 1 John 3.18 says, my children, our love should not just be words and talk, it must be true love, which shows itself in action. The, the, the essence of love is not what we think or do or provide for others. It's how much we give ourselves to others. Our best, moment, our best memories are of people that always had time for us. See, we, we can give without loving, but we can't love without giving. It doesn't work that way. We ultimately see this principle lived out through the example of God himself. The Bible says God loved the world so much, what? That he gave. He gave. Love means giving up, surrendering your preferences, subordinating your political passions. Doesn't mean you don't have them. Doesn't mean you don't hold strongly to them. Just that, But it's not gonna cost me my love for people. Even people that are, that, that are clearly on, on the other side of the political spectrum from me or, or, or whatever. We, we give up our comfort zones, our goals, our securities, our money, our energy. So the best use of life is love. The best way to love is time. One final principle, and that is the best time to love is now. Now, because putting off until tomorrow might be a legitimate response to some trivial or meaningless task but it doesn't work when it comes to love. The Bible stresses this over and over again. I mean, I, we, there's so many verses on this. How about Galatians 6.10? Whenever we have an opportunity, we should do good to everyone. Ephesians 5.16, use every chance you have for doing good. Proverbs 3.28, never tell your neighbor to wait until tomorrow if you can help them now. And why is now the best time to express love to the people? God has put into your life? Hey, answer simple. Because we don't know how long we'll have the opportunity to demonstrate that love to them. Circumstances change. Friends move away. Children grow up and move on. People die. 
None of us have any guarantees about tomorrow. Some of you men had sons do the football back and forth with them or played some catch in the backyard. One day you were playing it and they walked out and you didn't realize that's the last time you're going to do that. You moms and dads would go by and tuck those kids to bed, even the teenagers, and you sing with them and pray with them and all. And then they got up the next day and they left and they weren't coming back. Here's the one that gets me the most. It really sobers me because I had two daughters as well as two sons. You fathers that had daughters and they would sit in your lap and you hold them and you sing to them and you laugh with them and you rock them and all that stuff. And they were just precious. Even as teenagers and they sit in your lap and then they got up and they walked away and you didn't realize that's the last time. They're moving on. If, 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 if an, uh, an emissary from the Lord could have been there and say, by the way, that's it. That's the last time. Father, what would you would have grabbed that child and held on tight because that's how fast life goes. The bottom line, we need to seize the moments that God gives us. So we, we've, we've learned three lessons from God's word on how to use the time we have left that the best use of our life is love, and the best way to love is our time, giving our time, and the best time to love is now. The love I'm talking about is something beyond our onboard love that we were all given the capacity to express as, as people made in the image of God. I'm talking about a love that emanates directly from our relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ. It's 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 not us taking our love and pouring it over people. We're taking his love coming through us. It's, it's, it's not my love for God that I want to show you. It's God's love for me <laughs> I want to show you and, by, and you to others. But that assumes that you know him. That, sh- that assumes you have a relationship with the Lord. And, and, and here's, here's reality, that none of us are born with that relationship, but we all have a chance to create that relationship through something that God did. God saw the dilemma that all of us had, that, that although he loved us dearly, our sin separated us from him, and we could not have a, 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 a heart connection with him unless our, our sins were paid for. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death, and if we die, then we're eternally lost, and God intervened through his son. He said, we could accept a worthy substitute. If, if, there was, if there was a worthy substitute for them, we could accept that. And Jesus said, I will go. And God, God sent his son and Jesus took on human form. And he went up on a cross. He took your sins and my sins and he paid the price for them so that we wouldn't have to. And now by faith, you just exercise faith and you put your faith in Jesus and say, Lord, I can't believe that you would love me this much and I don't deserve it, but I know I'm a sinner. I know that I'm lost. I know I couldn't get to you on my own. I'm so grateful that you came and rescued me. I want to surrender my heart to you. I want to give my heart to you. And if you do that, he will, he will, he he says he will not only forgive you of your sins, he'll give you the gift of eternal life, relationship with him. If you've never made that decision, I know there are people in this church, pastors in this church would love to talk to you about it. Hang around afterwards if you need to. We'd like to talk to you. Now, obviously, 
most of the opportunities to love people are going to be for people we usually know and already care for. But nothing about this message combines it to just those people. God calls us to have love, our love and our time ready to give to whomever, wherever, and whenever the opportunity arises. I close with this story. It, it's a story about, it's told about a young, young man. He was an entrepreneur, gift, and uh, he was a salesman, and he was doing very, very well, and he decided to reward himself with a really nice car, bought him a nice car. But he had to make some calls in a very busy city, and he was concerned about going down the main thoroughfares that were so crowded with traffic. So he decided to skirt more through the apartment complexes where there was not as much traffic. And he was going through this one uh, where these high-rise apartments were, and he was going down the street, and all of a sudden he felt something thud against his car. And he hit the brakes, and he jumped out to see, and, and sure enough, there was a big gash in, in, the, in the panel of his car. And then back there, a ways was a, was a brick. And he came back to, to look, and in between the cars, there was a little boy right there in the street, and he was scared to death. And he's looking up at this guy. He said, Mr. Mitch, please don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. I'm so sorry. My brother, he, he, my older brother, he's paralyzed. And I, he was in a wheelchair, and I was taking him over to our grandmother's apartment. And the, we hit a crack in the thing, and, and it fell over. And he's on the hot pavement, and I can't pick him up. And he's burning, and, and, and I've been screaming for someone to help, and no one could hear me. And then I saw your car, and I needed to get your attention, and that's why I threw the brick. I'm so sorry. And he said, what are you talking about? And he came around, and sure enough, here's the poor boy. And he went and scooped the boy up and got him into his wheelchair and all and strapped in. And then his little brother said, I'm sorry about your car. And he took, and he started pushing his, the wheelchair down the street. And that, that young man stood there and looked at them. Then he came back and he looked at the side of his car. Ultimately got in the car, was driving on thinking about this, and he made a decision. That he wasn't gonna get that, that uh, gash in the car repaired. Because he thought, if I'm going through my life and I'm so preoccupied and so busy that I don't notice people in desperate need and the only way you can get my attention, Lord, is throw a brick at me. I'm too preoccupied. I think all of us are called to do something that when we let God love through us, we have no idea not only what he can do through us, but do on us and for us in the process. And he wants to do that with you. Let's, let me pray for you right now. Dear Lord, please teach us to number our days that we might develop a heart of true wisdom, Lord, a heart that is eager to love, glad to surrender its time, and ready to give that time to whomever, wherever, and whenever is demanded of us. We ask this all in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen.